which is up to Steve and I to make the right choices going forward to earn back their trust. If you don't like it, then you're welcome to leave. But that's the way that we do things around here. We play in New Jersey, man, so there's going to be some chippiness, there's going to be some griminess, but we're leaving it within the line, and I'll take a team like that. Once a giant, always a giant. For me, it's only a giant. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of All In with Art Stapleton, a New York Giants podcast Brought to you by the USA Today Network. I am, of course, Art Stapleton, and we are reaching a very important juncture in the offseason of the New York Giants. Yes, it's only been two weeks, but we are creeping up towards a potential general manager hire. We are in the finalist phase as I'm recording this show, and we're trying to pump out the episodes as fast as we can. So it will be GM and then on to the head coaching search, which I know you are all eager for. Today's show, an expanded interview with the one and only Amy Trask from CBS Sports, longtime executive in the NFL, the Princess of Darkness, as she was once dubbed by Sports Illustrated. We'll have that interview. I thought it was interesting. Last week, Peter Schrager of Fox Sports and the NFL Network's Good Morning Football had him on to break down the candidates. And I must say, again, kudos to Peter. I thought it was a fantastic show. He gave a ton of information. I know you guys enjoyed it. It was the most downloaded episode of All In since we launched back in August. Yes, even the Eli Manning episode, Schrager doubled that. So we're still going I urge you to go to all your favorite podcast platforms and check out last week's show if you want to know everything you need to know about the general manager candidates that the Giants interviewed and where we go from here. So before I get to the interview with Amy, and then I'll give you my playoff picks at the end of the show for our friends at Tipico, who are always involved, have been there from September when the start of the season began, when it, we started the season, and we always like to have them aboard. But first, I'll give you an update as to where the Giants are in their general manager search. Two finalists have already had their second in-person interview. Joe Shane, assistant general manager from the Buffalo Bills. I pegged him as a favorite, and truth be told, a lot of people have pegged him as a favorite since. When I did my breakdown in the first week of January before the season wrapped with the Giants, Shane is really the most well-rounded candidate that is part of the search for the Giants. He met with John Mara, Steve Tisch, and Chris Mara on Tuesday at the Giants facility in East Rutherford. What you need to know about Shane, he has two decades of experience Got his big break. He's a Parcells guy. You know how that works in the Giants organization. Bill Parcells hired him as a scout when they were together in Miami with the Dolphins. He has a strong background in player evaluation, but he's also worked across different departments in various roles, analytics, personnel, football ops, and communications. So right now, Shane would probably be the leader in the clubhouse, I'm guessing, uh, in terms of what the perception is outside the building. Candidate number two, finalist, Ryan Poles, executive from Kansas City, part of three different administrations with the Chiefs. Obviously, we see where the Chiefs are, how they've built that roster. He's 36 years old. He's a former offensive lineman at Boston College. His title right now is Executive Director of Player Personnel. Works with Brett Veach uh, very closely. He's essentially his right-hand man. Those three different regimes in Kansas City, Scott Pioli, John Dorsey, and Brett Veach. So there's no questioning his experience and learning from different voices during his journey. Poles is certainly qualified to do the job. He had his second interview on Wednesday at the Giants facility. He's also drawing interest from the Vikings, and he's the youngest of the nine candidates that the Giants have interviewed uh, through their initial process. So 
it'll be interesting to see if there's any hesitancy as far as whether or not they would turn the keys over someone's to someone so young, especially with some of the mistakes that they've had. And the third finalist who will be on his way to New Jersey and interviewing with the Giants in person is Adam Peters, 49ers executive, John Lynch's right-hand man there. He has three Super Bowl rings from his tenures in New England and Denver, got his first job in the NFL at age 23. He's at the forefront of the 49ers personnel and scouting departments. He's also considered one of the best talent evaluators in the league. So there's been a question as to whether or not Peters could be pried away from San Francisco. I also have seen some speculation online that the 49ers not wanting to lose Peters would almost promote John Lynch to a president type role in the organization and then make Adam Peters the general manager in order to not lose him. Again, that's still speculation, but I would not be shocked to see that happening. But it does say something that Peters in the week of a playoff game with the 49ers off their upset of the Cowboys that he would fly from the West Coast to New Jersey for this second interview. It speaks volumes about his interest in the job. So those are the three finalists. I know everyone wants to get right away to the head coaching search. What I'll say is this. I know Joe Shane, there's been a lot of talk about Brian Dayball, the offensive coordinator in Buffalo. Yes, the Giants like him. Yes, he would be considered regardless of who the head coaching candidate is. But I've also heard some whispers that Dayball's first preference, or at least he's intrigued by, going to Miami and reuniting with Tua. So we'll see if that happens. Uh, and as John Mara said, there is no, there are no package deals. They're not hiring these coaches, thinking these executives, I should say, thinking that they're going to get an automatic head coach in the mix. But we'd be naive to think that they're not talking head coaching candidates as part of their interview process. So the Giants know, or at least have a sense of where these candidates want to go from a head coaching perspective. One name bandied about with polls is obviously Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy. So that's an off, an obvious one. The Giants have interviewed Bieniemy in the last cycle. I'm not sure that's the number one choice though for polls. I, I think there's a good chance that Brian Flores is in the mix with polls and with Adam Peters. Flores and polls did not overlap in their time as players at Boston College. Flores was there in 2002, or at least his career ended, his playing career ended in 2002, and 2003 was a redshirt year for Poles. There is certainly enough familiarity to connect the dots between those two as well. So I would take a look at that. And then obviously I mentioned Peters. He was in New England when Flores jumped on board there. So there is familiarity there. I know there's a lot of intrigue from Giants fans about Mike McDaniel, the offensive coordinator in San Francisco. So that'll be one to keep an eye on if that's someone who Polls wants to bring in the mix. So just a reminder, my plan is to pump out a breaking news podcast with my reaction when the Giants hire a general manager, and we'll do the same thing with the head coach. Uh, We want to kind of stay on a flexible schedule. So Keep checking back and looking for new shows and new podcasts of All In to be able to uh, keep up to date with everything that's going on. And obviously, you can follow my coverage on NorthJersey.com and throughout the USA Today network. Just go to Twitter, at Art underscore Stapleton, and I will have all the links. And this is my plug. If you want to get in now, please get a digital subscription For NorthJersey.com, $1 for six months. That'll cover you through all of these searches, all of the coverage, the draft, the combine, everything that's starting up with the new coaching regime and the new front office. You get it all at NorthJersey.com. So go to NorthJersey.com and search for subscription offers, and you could find that out. Before we move to our interview with Amy Trask, As we do every week, I just want to thank our friends at Tipico for being involved in the show. Tipico Sportsbook, a global sports betting leader, is now live in New Jersey and Colorado. Make your favorite sports more interesting with Tipico's fast and easy mobile sportsbook app. For a limited time, new users from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. 
Terms and conditions apply 21 and over. See site for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. So a reminder, at the end of the show, I'll give you my picks for the playoffs and my final word on where things stand with the Giants head coach and GM search. But without further ado, let's get to Amy Trask. Okay, for, for now, without further ado, I want to bring in one of the best analysts around for CBS Sports, the first female CEO in NFL history, and she's quickly become a social media icon. Amy Trask, welcome to the show. And for anyone who follows you on Twitter, the only appropriate greeting for you is hi. Well, you have very graciously agreed uh, that I can do this by way of audio rather than audio and video. So you cannot see right now that I am smiling ear to ear. You said hi, and I appreciate that. That was, of course, a very generous and gracious introduction. But that you said hi has me smiling, and hi, Art. (laughs) Well, thank you for doing this. It's obviously a crazy time in the NFL, uh, and through your decades of work uh, with the Raiders, obviously, and then within the league itself, uh, you know, it's it's that strange convergence, right? I mean, the playoffs are going on, and then there's this whole other – entity going on with the hirings and firings and searches and all that stuff. So I figured who better to talk to, to kind of give inside perspective really on how everything has kind of transitioned, I guess, through the years of, it seems like the off season in the NFL is as much a a season quote unquote that exists. Do you, do you see that and how things have kind of developed in the league? Uh, well, you're absolutely right. There, there is no such thing as a, quote, off-season, close quote. Uh, and I will share that this goes back to my years in the league. So while you're right, it has continued to evolve and develop, and there is more than ever going on now between the end of the Super Bowl and the start of the next season. That's always been the case for people who work in organizations in roles that aren't only on-field roles. In other words, when your season ends, There are jobs within the organization where things abate quite a bit, but I always told people when that season ended, that's when, boy, oh, boy, Al's focus turned to everything, and and my world got even busier when the season ended. You know, you mentioned, obviously, Al Davis, uh, the the legend in in the NFL Hall of Famer, obviously worked extremely closely with you uh, and really was at the forefront in this league in terms of uh, diversity in the front office and uh, on the field uh, as far as coaching. Uh, so uh, let's let's start there. I know it's such a huge nut to crack, but when you see what's going on in, in coaching searches or front office searches in the league, uh, you know, when you were trumpeted as a trailblazer, how do you, I'm sure you've been asked this question over and over and over again, and I, I've obviously read your responses, but when someone says to you, how do we improve the diversity of the workplace in the NFL? Uh, it's a loaded question, but what's your, what's your take on what we're seeing? Uh, and, and do you see progress that has been made? Well, I'm going to answer that in several different ways, but I want to touch on one thing you noted uh, before I dive into that, which is what Al was doing decades and decades and decades before others were even discussing this. And I know that there will be people listening to this who love the Raiders and people who hate the Raiders, people who loved Al, people who couldn't stand Al. But if we're all being intellectually honest, whether you're a Raider fan or a Raider hater, um, we should acknowledge that Al did something which is the goal. It is the ideal. He hired without regard to race, gender, ethnicity, or any other individuality, which has absolutely no bearing whatsoever on whether one can do a job. Uh, He afforded me the opportunity of a lifetime, which I shall forever appreciate. And he did so because of the manner in which he hired. It didn't matter to him that I was a girl. And the reason I use girl rather than woman is I was really young when I joined the Raiders. Al hired me uh, in the early part of the mid-'80s. And, again, I note that because that which we're discussing today wasn't even a topic 
that was regularly discussed, certainly not within the NFL back at that time, and he hired in a manner we would hope everyone hires. Uh, people ask me, Art, am I excited when I see uh, other hirings like this? And the answer is, sure, of course I'm excited. But what's going to be truly exciting is when it's no longer noteworthy. It's no longer a news topic when someone is hired without regard to race or gender or ethnicity, which, as I noted, has no bearing on whether one can do a job. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where we we constantly make it news and you almost you're forced to you feel like if you don't highlight it, you're almost losing the impact. And I completely agree with what you're saying. It's you want to live for a day where it's just this candidate was interviewed and is a great candidate. It doesn't matter based on race or, or even gender. Uh, and it, we still haven't seen that. I thought we might see uh, a little bit more of, of a presence for, for women in this coaching cycle and in this executive cycle, really. Uh, I know uh, Catherine Roche was interviewed up in Minnesota. I would have liked to see a couple more, uh, qualified candidates that just happen to be female get involved uh, in these searches. And who knows, maybe we will see over the next couple of weeks. But speaking to your point, uh, when when you look at your experience from being in that front office, you know, we all, I, I, I have never worked in an NFL front office. So I know in some ways it's like any other business, but also, it's it's not it's it's a little different i'm sure you could speak to that but i guess my my point is you have a perspective to what it's like where you have one person that you may identify uh as a coach and you say we have to make a change and ultimately that works that wipes out an entire department most likely of assistant coaches and staff and and everything else it, that's to me what makes it different in professional sports, but also in the NFL. Did you ever get used to that? I mean, I know when you're in a CEO, you're more responsible for everything and not just the on-field product, but it's a, it's a tough, I've said this many times, it's a brutal business and we get reminders every year. And it's almost like those who are involved just have to embrace it because if you don't embrace it, you might not want to be in it. Um, before I address that, I want to back up one second and make sure I was clear about something, because I'm not sure, based on your response, that I spoke clearly. I'm not in any way criticizing the fact that hirings are newsworthy at the moment. Oh, sure. I knew that. I, I simply hope we get to the point where it is just the norm that people are hired without regard to the individualities I noted so that it no longer needs to be newsworthy. But at the moment, it is newsworthy. You know, you mentioned progress a few moments ago. When I started in the National Football League in the early part of the mid-'80s, and look, I know a lot of people listening to this probably weren't even born then. That's how long ago it was. Right. I was the only woman in the room. There has been progress. There are some terrific women involved in the NFL now. There have been for a number of years. It, it's very different than when I walked into that first uh, owner's meeting that I attended, and I was the only woman in the room. So, yes, there's been progress. I think we should have news when there's progress. I just hope it's no longer newsworthy at some point that people are doing the right thing. Uh, as to your question about do you ever get used to it, you know, I don't know that you do. Uh, you know, look, it is um, – I think the difference in some regards about the terminations in the National Football League or in sports in general is it's simply more public than terminations in other industries. In other words, when a coach is terminated, when a general manager is terminated, that's newsworthy. We all focus on it uh, because sports is so covered as it is. Um, but people lose their jobs all the time. And I think we should remember that, you know, it's tough to lose your job, whether you're in the public eye or not. 
Yeah, that, that's a hundred percent, and I, I do agree with you. the The public, you know, that's what's ironic when it comes to players. You know, their salaries are public, so we all know what everybody makes. You know, it's very rare in in business terms that everyone you work with knows exactly what's written on your paycheck. So I completely agree with that. You know, and I don't excuse me, but I don't take look. I don't take issue with that. And I'm not bemoaning the fact that it's public. That's what makes sports work. In other words, you have to have both sides of the coin. If you are the sports industry, if you are the National Football League, and you want avid fan, of, you know, if you want fan avidity, if you want avid fan attention and passion and enthusiasm, well, then you can't complain when there's avid fan passion and enthusiasm. You can't have it both ways, where you want fans thinking about and talking about and discussing the league and the teams and the games every single day, but then complain when they're talking about everything associated with the team. You can't be public and say, but we don't want to be public. That's a great point. It's a very great – I mean, and you, you do see that. You want you want the fans involved, but then when the fans get – involved you kind of shake your head and you go why are they so involved well you can't have it both ways like you said nope, you can't if if you were i know you know people come to you and say you know if you had advice for for this team or that team forget about the team and i don't know if you can do that but from your perspective if someone said look we we've we've had struggles uh, with hiring processes you've been part of this you've seen success you've seen failure what would be your first thing when you set up a, a coaching search uh, or uh, let's let's just say a GM search you know obviously I cover the Giants so the Giants are going into a GM search for you if someone said to you and said look clean slate here we are what are some of the steps that you would want to take uh, early on in your search to kind of put together the right pathway to, to finding success in that area well, in the spirit of candor and to be absolutely clear, uh, in the almost 30 years I was with the Raiders, Al involved me only one time in a coaching search. And as you well know, he did a lot of coaching searches. <laughs> there was quite a bit of turnover at the coaching position. He only involved me in one search. And I do like to humble brag, as the kids would say, although, by the way, I'm not sure there is such a thing as humble bragging because that's an oxymoron. If you're bragging, you're not being humble. But the kids say humble brag, so I will humble brag that the one search in which he involved me, I met with all the candidates, and he called me in after I did and said, which one would you hire? And I said, Bill Belichick. So I love to own that. Um, I never thought anyone would know that, but once at a press conference, Al shared that publicly that, Wow. told me to hire Bill Belichick, so I appreciate that he did that. And my apologies that I digress, but I had to kind of throw that in. Oh, that was awesome. I, look, I appreciate the humble brag. That is awesome. What what year was that? When when was that in Belichick's tenure? Because I, I had never heard that before. Uh, well, he it was the year that so we met, I met with all the candidates. I met with Bill. I met with John Gruden. I met with all the candidates. As I said, Al called me in after I did and said, which one would you hire? I told him Bill. He asked me why. I answered. He went on to hire John, which at that time was also a good decision. Uh, but it was at a time before Bill was really known for being the Bill we've come to know. Right. I was simply extraordinarily impressed by him. As to your question about what I would look for, whether hiring a coach or hiring a general manager, a CEO, a president, anyone in any sort of a leadership position, or frankly, any position, is I would look for people who were willing to not only engage in, but embrace what I think are the four most important things in business. Communicate, cooperate, collaborate, and coordinate. You know, all the time we hear about um, coaches or GMs pressuring a team owner, you know, it, it's him or it's me, or I want to bring in my guy. You know what? It's not about you. It's not about your guy. When you work for a business, your obligation to that business is to do the best you can for that business. And that means working with everyone employed by the business and working to bring out the best in everyone employed by the business. I get so frustrated when I hear people walk in and say, well, I want to bring in my guy, or right. he should be allowed to bring in his guy. 
It doesn't matter if it's your guy. It matters if it's the right guy. And of course, I'm using the word guy in the vernacular sense because we hear people all the time say, my guy, his guy. I'm not using it in a gender-specific sense. But whenever I hear a GM or anyone say, you know, that GM needs to bring in his guy, I think, no, bring in the right guy. And let me tell you something. If I'm hired to be the GM of a team with a spectacular coach in place, guess what? He's my guy. Right. You, you would think, right? I mean, that if if you're a GM and you you come in and there's a winning coach involved and you tell ownership the first thing you want to do is get rid of him, I, I would question whether you wanted to hire that GM in the first place. Absolutely. Take me inside now. You, you, obviously, we know the – I don't know specifically the structure that, that Al had uh, with the Raiders and what you guys built there, but I'm sure, uh, obviously, to see the ownership now go to to his son, the Giants are dealing with a lot of questions now about it being a family business, and with all the losing, it's turned into a negative. Why are there so many family members? And, you know, John Mara needs to take a step back and not run the family business and have family members in the organization organization and um i'm sure you've heard that uh what you know what's gone on at least from the periphery i'm curious from your experience how how would you handle that if you were in that situation what kind of recommendations would you give if you were asked in terms of the perception versus the reality of being in charge of a business and having a family name attached to it uh, but also trying to navigate the waters of making sure the right people are involved. Uh, I think you kind of know what, where I'm getting at in terms of it, it seems to be it can be a slippery slope, but also sometimes the good things about a family business is that someone is so invested in that business. Well, you know, you've named a few teams, but there's a lot of teams that are, to use your expression, a family business a number of which are advancing in the playoffs. Cincinnati Bengals, a family business, going on to the next round. The Titans have been a family business for decades and decades, as has Cincinnati, as have the Giants, as have the Raiders. The Kansas City Chiefs, that's the Hunt family. The 49ers, that's the York family. So I note this because there are family businesses um, which are achieving tremendous success and some which, as of late, are not achieving that success. So I don't think there's necessarily causation. Maybe there's correlation. You know, I don't think that you can label, you can't say family business and lump them all into one group. You know, the Giants need to make decisions now as head coach, as general manager, and by, you know, well, I'm going to come back to what I'm going to say about family-owned businesses as to the Giants in one moment. But I just, again, want to note that when I, look, the Steelers, family-owned business. The reason I'm stumbling and bumbling a little bit is I'm trying to go through right now all the family-owned businesses in the NFL, because there are a lot, but ones which come to mind are, of course, the Giants and the Raiders, which you mentioned, the Chiefs, the Steelers, the Bengals, the Titans, the 49ers, and, and I believe there's some more. Some have achieved tremendous success of late, some have not. But one thing I believe that all of those families have in common is an absolute passionate desire to win. They want to win. So while fans may criticize some of the decisions that have been made, I don't think it's fair or correct to suggest that they're not, quote, all in and looking to win. My gosh, if I inherited a team, I would want to honor the legacy of my parents and my grandparents. In many of these instances, the Giants being one of them, this is not simply a second generation of ownership, but a third generation of ownership. And I imagine, I don't actually imagine, I know that the Giants' passion to want to get this right is strong. I I agree with you. I think the the pain and the anguish was written all over John Mara's face when he uh, addressed us via Zoom last week. Uh, You know, look, they, they know they've made a lot of missteps, a lot of mistakes, and I think they are committed to the process. I just don't know, and I don't know they could know if the process is correct. You got to get the process right first and how they go about their searches to find the right general manager and then find the right head coach. I think that's probably the right path to go on. It'll be interesting to see how that 
uh, takes shape from from your perspective league wide because obviously you're not diving into the Giants on a daily basis. How does it affect the league when a, a Really, two teams have struggled in New York for several years with the Jets and the Giants. But from the Giants specifically being a flagship franchise, what what does that do league-wide, do you think? You know, it is obviously enormous, enormous marketplace for the Giants and for the Jets. We all understand that. Uh, but there's other teams that are in smaller markets that are also flagships, to use your word. So, yes, I do believe the league wants to see the Giants and the Jets succeed. But you know what? Green Bay is in a teeny-weeny market, and it has a national following. So there's not always a one-to-one correlation between market size and um, fan passion, if you will. But, of course, um, New York is a huge, huge, huge market, both television and otherwise. And there are many, many people associated with the league that want to see both of these teams do well. When when you're in inside a building and you kind of get a sense of when a change is going to come, whether it's that general manager or head coach, in your experience, what's that like for the people inside the building? Because I hear from people a lot with the Giants. You know, they're now looking for another head coach. This will be the fourth head coach since Tom Coughlin left. And how it just affects everybody in the building. It's not just football-related in your position back when you you know you were CEO you're you're essentially in charge of everything all departments not just the football side how does that affect a a team an organization when you have so much change and and people just it just seems like they're just waiting for that next shoe to drop and then when you get that word what what's that feel like what in in your experience well, I'm going to clear something up, and I want you to know I'm doing it with a giant smile on my face. Okay. There was this guy, you may have heard of him, his name was Al Davis. <laughs> okay. Uh, he was a very, very involved owner, and by involved, I mean he had absolute authority and control over all of the football operations. And, of course, when you are the owner of a business, you have ultimate authority and ultimate control and ultimate responsibility over everything and for everything, so that's not aberrational. But my point is, I had no, um, I was not overseeing the football operations at all. <laughs> in almost 30 years, I was involved in one coaching search. I had no involvement in building out football staff or rosters or the draft. Or I oversaw the business operations. Al had absolute authority and well, he had authority over everything, but he ran our football operations. So I can't speak directly to that. A very unique situation for me, working for a team owner who came from a football background. He started, as you know, in the NFL as a coach. Right. So I won't speak to those who run the football operations, but I can certainly speak to the uh, as one who oversaw business operations and was inside the building, as you noted. Uh, and I don't think this uh, football is different from other industries. When people lose their jobs, they lose their jobs. And those within the, there's a variety of emotions in the organization. And this goes to whether it's a head coach or a GM or anyone in the organization. There are personal relationships to consider. Uh, those who were hired by the people who were terminated are now worrying, are they going to lose their job? Is someone new coming in going to replace them with someone they choose to bring on board? So there's personal issues, there's professional issues, and that doesn't differentiate football from other industries. It's just a lot more public. Gotcha. Well, it, yes, I, I I should have specified. I know with 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 Al, it, it was not a uh, your hands and everything, but uh, overseeing, you certainly were involved and knew uh, what was going on. So that is that is pretty funny, though, because I think people have certain perspectives, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on, because I think you speak to that idea of what we see publicly uh, doesn't necessarily mean what's going on behind the scenes. So I definitely appreciate where you're coming from and the business aspect, I guess it goes across the board. We just see it as, you know, an NFL business that it's, it's more different, but probably like you said, it's just basically because it's more public that we see it play out you know, in the sports pages and on the internet that we kind of have a different feel for what's going on, but it probably does happen across 
the landscape of of any kind of business when something happens it, it affects everyone that way uh let me you know i was laughing when i saw this and obviously it, the nickname for you the princess of darkness right where where did that come from and did you like it at first is it something that you had to come to embrace what or do you even not consider that a nickname well first of all and i'm teasing when i say this again you're referring to the best nickname ever in the whole world, right? <laughs> because that's my view of Princess of Darkness. I shall forever cherish that nickname. And by the way, I hope when you hear it, you're a little, little afraid of me. <laughs> uh, it, uh, the evolution is as follows. Mike Silver, who I know you know of, yes. if not know personally, uh, was at the time with Sports Illustrated, and he did a feature. And in that feature, he quoted uh, some team and league executives off the record i might note he uh he shared this uh, is off information provided to him by these executives off the record that behind my back they referred to me as the princess of darkness and it was clearly not intended as a compliment in fact it was intended as an insult mm. well i liked it when I read Princess of Darkness, I thought, damn, I like that. And Raider fans liked it, too. I embraced it. They embraced it. And so what was intended as an insult, I embraced as a compliment. They embraced. We embraced it together. And I shall forever cherish Princess of Darkness. <laughs> In Mike's article, he went on to write, um, they refer to her you know, behind her back as the Princess of Darkness, and they they, they say that she is a smarter, meaner Al Davis with a law degree. Well, I laughed at that, and every time Al and I would argue, which, by the way, we did a lot because over those 30 years, we disagreed with one another more than we agreed with one another. Uh, but every time we disagreed after that article was printed, I would look at him and I would say, smarter, meaner. And I would get, I'd just start laughing and I'd get up and walk out. <laughs> well, that's great. So credit to Mike Silver and SI uh, for the, the unnamed anonymous quotes that, that turned right. a, a nickname that was intended as an insult into something that, like you said, is one of the best, best nicknames, I think, in NFL history. Uh, I wanted to ask you, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, I know there are, Young women listening to the show, I hope there are, or will, just because of your presence when we're promoting this week's episode, will tune in and, and listen and download to hear what you have to say. Uh, what advice can you give? And I, I don't know if that advice has changed over the last decade or so for young women who want to get in this business, who see an Amy Trask and say, you know what, that, that's what I wanted to be. Well, what a... What a dream that is to be, to say, oh, I'm going to be a CEO in the NFL. But has your advice changed and what is that advice for, for young women? Or I think that's probably across the board. It's probably unfair for me to say young women, uh, really young men and women across the board of what it would be like to, to get into this business. Well, you um, read my mind, so to speak, because I was going to share that the first piece of advice I give without regard to gender, it's advice for young women and young men starting out in any business or frankly not even starting out who are in any business, and that is work hard. Work as hard as you can, and when you think you can't work any harder, find a way to work harder because hard work really matters. Uh, I was once on a panel and one of the other, the, the, the woman leading the panel happened to be a very senior, senior, senior executive at the bank that did all of our Raider banking. So I was very concerned um, about disagreeing with her on one thing publicly, but I did it. During that panel, she made a comment after I spoke to this point about hard work. She said, you mean work smart, right? And I said, no, I mean work hard. And by the way, they're not mutually exclusive. We hear all the time, you don't need to work hard, you need to work smart. Well, I'm not sure what working smart exactly means. Don't we all want to try to work as smartly as we can all the time? I mean, why wouldn't you do that? But even if work smart is something in which one believes, it's not 
mutually exclusive to also say you've got to work hard. I believe in hard work. I believe hard work matters. So that's advice I would give to both young men and young women. Gotcha. Well, that's great. I mean, I think that's a great point. Um, you always hear nowadays about culture. The Giants have talked about changing their culture uh, at, you know, at nauseum, really, the last you know, five, six years and, you know, losing on the field certainly affects that quote unquote culture. Do you believe in, in, in a culture and that a culture can change and actually be a reason for success on the field? Different people use the word culture very differently. Um, you know, I don't love the word culture because it's a buzzword. People throw out the word culture, culture. But what do you really mean? Are you talking about changing the business environment? Are you talking about changing the communication environment? In order to say whether culture is something that needs to be, I, I need to understand when people throw that word out exactly what they mean, because it's a buzzword. So yes, in many instances, you do need an absolute change of environment. In other instances, you need to change some things in an environment, but simply throwing out the word fix the culture. You know, I'm not a big fan of buzzwords. I would need to understand what an organization is suggesting and what it intends to fix and how it intends to fix it before I would dive into analyzing that. So I'm going to do what, what Al only did once for you, even though I'm not going to be able to put you in the interviews. You obviously follow this game very closely. You know all the names that are out there. If if I came, if if an organization came to you and said, "Amy, I know you watch the game. I respect your thoughts for the game. Is there a coach or coaches out there that, you know, I'll speak from a Giants perspective that you'd say, you know what, you have to have those candidates in for an interview, uh, because that that kind of profile I would need to know more because I respect them so much. I think they need an opportunity." Well, I'm going to decline to name names. <laughs> okay. um, well, first of all, you're talking to the girl who went to law school. So my immediate reaction was, Your Honor, objection calls for a hypothetical. <laughs> so having, and, and I would hope the judge would sustain my objection. But the reason I'm not going to throw names out is because I would hate to inadvertently leave one off. And then that becomes a very, very loud negative pregnant. There are a lot of, a lot of, a lot of good qualified candidates. If I were uh, conducting the interviews for an organization, I would, to use a phrase that I don't like because I'm a vegetarian, I would cast the net wide. Um, I'm using that phrase just to be quick because I know we're, we're limited on time, uh, but I, I would do a wide, broad search and I would explore all my opportunities. Do you think the there is a profile for a general manager in today's NFL that you would prefer, not necessarily a name, but, you know, there's this debate over whether or not a general manager should be on the personnel side or on the financial side, or, you know, you need a cap guy, a guy or gal in that situation. How do you feel if you were hiring a general manager from your experience? I don't, well, and, and again, I never hired. A no, no, but just, but that. you've worked in an yeah, organization. And I'm just with, sharing that to be very clear. And again, that's the girl who in, went to law school in me that wants to make sure I'm not misleading anyone. Understood. Um, I don't think, I don't think there's one answer. I don't think there's one structure. Um, I think you can make any of the structures you just suggested work. If you bring in a general manager who is just so, so, so good at the cap, but maybe not as good at evaluating talent, then he or she will need to build out a very strong, strong talent scouting department. If, on the other hand, you bring in a general manager who's tremendous at scouting talent, but, you know, maybe doesn't have a lot of cap expertise, you're going to have to build out that area. And that's my way of saying any one of those directions, any one of those answers can work. And what you simply need to do is build around the person you hire. That. I mean, that makes the most sense. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot one last time. I want to really say thank you for all your time this morning taping this. This will get up there, and I hope everybody appreciates where you're coming from. I certainly do. Uh, who's going to be in the Super Bowl? Who's Amy Trask's pick for the Super Bowl? Or are you, do you really think I'm going to pick right now? Oh, come Actually, on. I'm you going can. To pick right now. 
I will say, I did tweet this out this morning. I asked Twitter Village if we might be feeling a little bit of karma as relates to the Rams, simply because this will be the first time Los Angeles County has hosted a Super Bowl in 29 years. SoFi, when it opened, was the first new stadium in Los Angeles County in 99 years. So I don't know if there might be some Ram karma, but then the minute I tweeted that out, I thought, hey, nice. Green Bay Packers. They got to go to the Packers if that was, that's what they want. I would love to see an NFC championship of Packers and Rams, and I would love to see a an AFC championship of Chiefs and Bills. And then no matter how it ends up in the Super Bowl, I think it's going to be a great game. Understood, understood. Well, uh, I tell you what, if the Rams end up going to Green Bay, that might bring the Odo Beckham Jr. story that Giants fans are so familiar with. Full circle, having Odell after, you know, a very good performance in in week one of the playoffs for him and the Rams. Uh, Be interested to see him end up back at Lambeau Field with a chance to get to the Super Bowl. That would be something. Well, Amy Trask, thank you so much for joining me on this week's show. And whenever I will see you on Twitter, I will absolutely say hi. Well, thank you very much for having me, and thank you very much for saying hi, and I will always do the same with you. All right, that's some great information from Amy Trask. I really appreciate her time doing it early on Tuesday morning out on the West Coast. So thanks to Amy. You can follow her on Twitter, at Amy Trask. That's A-M-Y-T-R-A-S-K. Does great work, not just on social media and not just in her past as uh, really a a well-respected executive in the NFL, but also her work on CBS Sports. Uh, She's really one of a kind when it comes to analyzing the NFL. So I think uh, at this point, it's really easy to see why Amy uh, has done so well in the league. And I think she offers some great perspective. You know, last week we gave you Peter Schrager talking about candidates and what makes the candidates tick. This week, I wanted to give you a perspective from what's it like inside a front office when changes are made. I hope you got that. Uh, And one we're working on, hopefully for next week, but not soon after. We had something planned before the end of the season, and it just didn't work out. Hall of Famer Harry Carson, who obviously started with the Giants in the late 70s, and lived through the darkest times, similar to what the Giants are going through now. So Harry was there for the transition to George Young, another Hall of Famer, and we know what happened after that, the first Super Bowl, Parcells, everything else. So I've been working it out with Harry to try him to get him on for an edition of All In, and I think his perspective from that point of view will be one that I hope the audience enjoys. So that's where we're going. And like I said earlier, we will be doing breaking news podcasts as the hires happen with analysis. So please keep checking back. And obviously I'll push out alerts and links to listen when those episodes drop. All right. Without wasting too much more time, let's close the show with picks for this week. All the spreads brought to you by Typico. Here are my picks Sunday night. Well, you know what? Let's start with the first game. Bengals at Titans. You know, there's something about Joe Burrow right now that's going. And I think the Bengals are going to keep this one close. I could see the Titans winning by a field goal. I don't like the fact that the Bengals are banged up on the interior defensive line. I think that hurts them, obviously, against this Titans team. Derrick Henry coming back, it'll be very interesting to see how much he has in the tank his first game back after months off from the injury. Uh, I think it's a close game. I think Burrow is, this is his time. And I do think that Burrow will give Tennessee all it can handle Remember, Tennessee has lost some games this year that you just kind of shake your head. Remember when they were in MetLife and they lost to the Jets. So give me the Bengals plus three and a half. Titans may win the game, but I think it'll end up being close. Game number two, Saturday night. 
San Francisco at Lambeau in Green Bay against the Packers. 49ers are getting five and a half points. I'm taking the 49ers with the points. I think the Packers win the game, but I think the 49ers and the points is a good play here. I don't like Garoppolo in a big spot, Jimmy Garoppolo, but I do think that there's something going right now with the 49ers. Last four winners of the 49ers-Cowboys rivalry in the playoffs have gone and won the Super Bowl. So that's a pretty amazing stat. I know it's been a while, and I'm not saying the 49ers are going to make the Super Bowl. I do question whether or not the guys who got banged up last week, uh, Bosa is in concussion protocol. You hope he clears. Fred Warner was a limited participant in practice. Some questions going up against Aaron Rodgers, but there's something about this 49ers team right now. So I'm keeping it close. Give me the five and a half points. Green Bay and San Francisco at Lambeau. Game number three, the early game on Sunday, the Rams and the Bucks. I've got an upset here. I like the Rams. Old friend Odell Beckham Jr. gets on the board. Some redemption for his last playoff game and only playoff game with the Giants and Green Bay back in 16. Rams are getting two and a half. I'll take the points and I'll take a win outright. The Bucks are really banged up. And those questions on the offensive line with guys being hurt, Ryan Jensen, their center, and Tristan Wirfs, their right tackle, both left with injury last week. Jensen came back in. He stayed in the game, but he's not at 100%. Wirfs came back in, couldn't last more than a series. Just throwing this one out there, I think the Rams right now have something going. I like that defense. I like that defensive front. So give me the Rams plus two and a half to win outright over the Bucks, ending Tampa's reign as Super Bowl champs. And then my last pick, really the best game of the weekend, is it the Joe Shane versus Ryan Poles Bowl? Well, Buffalo Bills plus one and a half in Kansas City. I've seen enough of Kansas City to know when Patrick Mahomes is hot, which he was against Pittsburgh. There's very little to do to stop him. But I also like the Bills here getting hot at the right time. And Josh Allen has played extremely well the last couple weeks. I'm going Buffalo with the upset in Arrowhead against the Chiefs. Plus one and a half. I like them to win outright. I think it's going to be the Bills and possibly the Bengals in the AFC title game. And then I like the Rams and, uh, you know what, I want to take the 49ers. I, I will take the 49ers. I think the 49ers win outright. So I go 49ers, Rams, and Bills, Bengals in your title games getting ready for the Super Bowl in early February. So that about does it. Make sure you keep it where it is. Keep checking in on the Giants general manager search. I appreciate you joining me. And as... Amy Trask said, you know, when you're passionate, you're impassioned and you have passion for what you do, you're all in. And that's what we've got here. And thanks to an audience that's all in our shows rolling on through 2022 and into the new regime for the New York Giants. Check you next time.